I just kind of wanted to make 200 bucks every weekend without having to get a job. <laughs> so I, at the time, you know, I, and I was, I've always loved clowns. I've always loved Elvis, but I was a little too skinny and punk rock at the time to be a good Elvis at a nursing home. And um, my clowning skills aren't really, you know, I, I'm not really the best clown. They can't stand alone. <laughs> yeah, but, but when I mix them together, I could get enough material out of it. And it's just an entertainer. He's got good energy, is very knowledgeable. I've, I've picked up some books because of watching Clownvis. You know, there's a void there to be filled of people that just like a little old school weird and wackiness and unpredictability. Um, yeah, and a lot of respect for what he's doing. I'm Sarah Fenske. This is St. Louis on the Air. I'm Laura Hamden, producer for St. Louis on the Air. Before today's episode, I want to take a moment to say thank you for listening. Our team works hard to provide nuance on the news that shapes your life and your community. We wouldn't be able to do this without your support. The money you give to St. Louis Public Radio helps fund our podcast. Please go to stlpr.org slash donate and give an amount that works for you. Your contribution along with that of your neighbors is what fuels St. Louis on the air. We're really grateful. Thank you for your support. Live music can be hard to find in this strange new world we're stuck in. But if you count live streamed music, you could get more than your fill just by watching Clownvis Presley. The alter ego of St. Louis musician Mike Leahy, Clownvis combines Elvis and clowning in some unforgettable performances. And he now offers a live stream of himself in character every Friday, Saturday, and Sunday from 9 to 10 p.m. In South St. Louis on Cherokee Street, the restaurant Yaki's has turned Clownvis's evening stream into a regular watch party. They broadcast the stream onto the side of neighboring Earthbound Beer. All are welcome to come by and watch and have a drink in the fresh air. Our producer, Lara Hamden, visited on a recent Saturday night, and she found a whole lot of Clownvis fans and a whole lot of community. I'm Becky. I own Yaki's with my partner, Francis, and I became a Clownvis fan nine years ago when my partner, Francis, introduced me to him. I used to hate clowns before I met him. And he was just really funny and had a stage presence that I did not expect. A weekend night where we're always partying on the edge of the night. Clownvis, that's me, my horn. Well, we always loved Clownvis and streaming anything we could at home. But now that we are shut down with COVID on the inside, we're looking for any avenue where we can gather fans to come here on our street and hang out outside and do something real interesting. And we've always been a kind of him, uh, a fan of Clownvis since opening up. We thought it was a great opportunity to open up uh, a fan base to him. And how many people have you seen sort of come? We've seen, I mean, we've seen a few dozen come through. A lot of people are real curious. A lot of people who wish they could come from all across the United States. So there is a response that we want to see. And we're hoping that as far as we get into the winter, people will still come out. Hi, I'm Josie Grillis. Um, I'm a South City resident. And I first became a fan of Clownvis, watching it being streamed at Yaki's onto the huge wall of Earthbound Brewery. And it's been a really great way to hang out outside safely, social distance, 
um, but with really cool people and uh, kind of building a community even in the middle of a pandemic. So I just think it's got a cool audience and the people who like it are very genuine and it's been fun getting to learn about Clownvis. What are some things that you have been learning about him or some of the things that kind of caught your eye to come back and watch more? Well, like, he's really good. <laughs> Sometimes when I haven't been paying attention that whatever was streaming, like I've been here to watch debates and stuff and then it'll turn into Clownvis and I'm not paying attention. And then the music all of a sudden is really great and I realize it's actually Clownvis singing. And, and I think that the concept of a clown Elvis impersonator is just hilarious, but... He's really talented in and of himself, and it's not just Elvis covers. And so I think that's, I enjoy that. I like, like, it's, a lot of it is unique content and sort of created on the fly. Hi, my name is Lucas Hanner, and I live in the Tower Grove East neighborhood. I am a big fan of, of Clownvis, was before the pandemic, and, and that was simply seeing him live one time, and I became a fan. During the pandemic, when... He did the first Cowboy Night, or even the second one. I mean, Cowboy Nights were hilariously fun. He dressed up uh, his co-host, Squeeb the Alien, as a cowboy. And the first time I saw Squeeb dressed as a cowboy, I, I about lost it. That was great. When they started airing Clownvis to the Rescue at Yaki's, what I loved is people who were not familiar with him yet. And they're like, hey, is that that Clown Elvis guy? Is he on tonight? And they're like, yeah, come check out Clownvis. And already people are like, oh, this is this is not what I thought it was going to be. This is really cool. He's a very, it's just an entertainer. He's got good energy. He entertains. He is very knowledgeable in so many categories, uh, whether it be talking about books. I've, I've, I've picked up some books because of watching Clownvis. Uh, he would refer books and he has a musical knowledge that's out of this world and can remember a song from 20 years ago and just start playing it on his guitar. And so I, that, that's, that's what really stands out of, about Clownvis. Yeah, and a lot of respect for what he's doing. Clownvis to the rescue. And that was Laura Hamden's report from Cherokee Street. And joining me to talk about it is Mike Leahy, also known as Clownvis Presley. So, Mike, welcome. Hey, hi, Sarah. So I understand you started hosting these live stream five nights a week at the beginning of the pandemic. What made you want to do that? Well, I had uh, a whole year's worth of, of touring plan. That's what I, I do normally. You know, in the in the normal world, I would do over 100 shows every year. Um, so I literally was on my way to start a tour in San Francisco when um, everything kind of fell apart in March. And so I had a long drive back to St. Louis and not knowing what I was going to do with the next uh, unforeseeable amount of time. Uh, all I wanted, all I knew I wanted to do was to go live because I had the technology. You know, I knew that our, we could do it with just a phone or just a laptop. Um, and it had been something that I had explored a little bit over the last, you know, five or ten years since the technology has been there. Um, but I've never really made a, a, a solid go at it as far as doing a live streamed show. So I just had about a 30 hour drive home to think <laughs> about what I was going to do. And uh, I got home and the very next night I, you know, I, I went live and the first couple nights I would decide they're live on the show. Like, I guess we'll come back tomorrow and do it again. This is fun. And, um, you know, it was it came out of desperation, really, of just 
just like everyone else, kind of needed to figure out what was going on at the time. You needed an outlet. Um, was was there also an economic component to it, or was it just having this creativity and, and needing to get out that performing? N- yeah, certainly there was an economic component. Um, you know, I like I said, I was just starting a tour. I, I mean, I have I had a you know merch bins full of all new stuff uh, that I was planning on selling over the next few months, and um, you know, just all the regular. Uh, money that comes in when you tour mm-hmm. uh, uh which was just out the window um but i that being said i didn't expect it to be so well that it could be comparable to touring mm-hmm. um but really what i found is that there is a lot of people and that's probably you know part of the uh, circumstance i don't know if this would have been the same eight or nine months ago but um, there's a lot of people that are just have their eyes and ears open to any kind of regular content that they can uh, get their hands on. People need entertainment. Yeah, television's gotten really bad, you know. I mean, it's it's you just see on, on regular TV, all the uh, late-night shows are just kind of flailing, and uh, God knows what they're trying to do, but it's not working. Um, so <laughs> it's I think there's a, you know, there's a void there to be filled of people that just like a little old-school weird and wackiness and unpredictability. Um, you know, without being a forced, uh, you know, kind of Jimmy Fallon show. The uh, the RF, that's a nice little dig there. Uh, the <laughs> RFT called the show like witnessing an OG Branson act on mushrooms. Would you take issue with that or does that seem <laughs> about right? No, I mean, that sounds good, you know. I, uh, <laughs> I, um, yeah, that's that's probably a fair assessment. And, and are people paying then to watch this, or you're using that to channel them towards things that you're selling? Yeah, personally, I would rather not have a subscription uh, situation. Although those are, you know, these days I see that helping a lot of people, Patreon, and um, you know, people that do uh, fans only and things like this. There is subscription sites that are really good for some artists. Uh, I personally don't want to do that. I just like the. Uh, Mm, the the freedom of of not having that hanging over my head mm-hmm. but it's but it's very easy to lead people towards uh merchandise if they like what i'm doing and um we have have a, a few other avenues of ways to you know i do i'm on cameo and i do um, video telegrams outside of that and uh, we do a thing called shout outs on the show where you can kind of make a donation and get a shout out in the show so um people are very I think people understand the plight of artists right now, and um, if they see something that they like and they want to keep it moving, they're not afraid to throw a couple bucks at it. So is this a core crowd, like the people that we talk to at Yaki's who are who are tuning in constantly, or do you have people who kind of pop in for one every now and then and, and don't necessarily come back? Um, well, now that, you know, tonight is our 100th episode. We've been doing it for over six months now, and it's um, it's definitely a core audience. It's always building. The numbers aren't huge, but it uh, it is the, uh, the core audience is the word for it. I mean, it's just a very, very loyal audience that's uh, there, and they tell their friends, and new people showing up every night. And, um, you know, Clownvis has a weird reach. I'm, I'm in a lot of different um, weird subcultures and things and a lot of different genres and uh, things that I've wor- things that I've worked in. So there's really people from all across the board. I mean, the demographic is is, is staggering. It's crazy uh, as far as between kids and 
old people and punk rockers and juggalos and uh, academics. It's crazy. It's a wide gamut there. And that actually leads into the question that that I've been, I would be remiss not to ask, which is what got you started as doing this clown slash Elvis bit in the first place? I understand this was was all the way back in 2006 when you first pioneered this this Clownvis character. Yeah. Yeah, I started doing it in 2006. Uh, And at the time, I was playing in a band that toured a lot you know and we spent most of our time on the road uh not really making money you know just being young scrappy uh, kids on the road um but i didn't want to g- get a job i kind of wanted to have a uh i wanted to have a gig like an elvis impersonator or like a clown where i could do nursing homes and i could do restaurants and uh, I just kind of wanted to make 200 bucks every weekend without having to get a job. <laughs> so I, at the time, you know, I, and I was, I've always loved clowns. I've always loved Elvis, but I was a little too skinny and punk rock at the time to be a good Elvis at a nursing home. And um, my clowning skills <coughs> aren't really, you know, I, I'm not really the best clown. They can't stand alone. <laughs> yeah, but but when I mix them together, I could get enough material out of it to, you know, be up on a stage for 30 minutes and um you know singing elvis songs and then i'd do a magic trick and it it all snowballed um from its from its own momentum very quickly and became its own thing so this idea of of having done this now for so many years i mean it's a great idea it obviously the the commercial aspects of it it works perfectly do you find yourself getting tired of clown fest after spending 14 years uh being him (laughs) No, no, that's the way. I mean, it's it's always a blast. And if I if it ever wasn't, I just simply wouldn't do it. You know, I'd go cut lawns or something. Uh, there are other I, jobs. Um, you don't have to yeah. be Clownvis. You you want to no. be Clownvis. I'm I'm absolutely thrilled that I get to do it every night. Uh, every night I get to do it. And now with this live stream, I mean, after so many years of touring, um, uh, you don't realize how how hard it is until you're out of it you know uh the fact that i don't have to travel the fact that i don't have to leave my family um and that i still get to have <clears throat> creative freedom and uh you know make a living it's I'm, I'm thrilled i'm over the moon we're talking today to mike Leahy, who is better known as clownvis presley we need to take a quick break but we'll be back shortly to continue this conversation with mike this is st louis on the air on st louis public radio 90.7 kwmu Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to conservation and careful management of the state's forests to make them more resilient and better habitats for wildlife. Choosewood.com. Welcome back. My guest today is Mike Leahy, who's better known as Clownvis Presley. He combines comedy and Elvis and magic tricks, and it's just a whole thing. And and Mike, I want to give people a better sense of your shtick here. So I want to play one of your songs. And this is not the song that I found the funniest, um, but it was safe for radio in a way that that song was not. So this song is called Trafficula. Yeah. 
And that is Trafficula by Clownfist Presley. You kind of have to see the video on this thing to, to get where they're all going with this. It's a lot of fun to watch. Um, Mike, some of your ideas are just so off the wall. Where did this one come from, the idea of a vampire seizing onto people's necks as they're stuck in traffic? Oh, God. I, I don't know where they come from. Uh, I have random ideas all the time, and I try to jot them down you know, and keep them locked in. And then I go back, and if something makes me kind of laugh out loud later, because uh, they, I mean, they honestly it comes from a place in my brain that just kind of they fall, you know, ideas fall out, and I almost don't feel responsible for them. Hmm. And then if I go back and look later, and it's something that makes me laugh, then I, uh, you know, then I start sculpting it into a, the opus, you know, like Trafficula. So, so many things have changed since you started doing this Clownfist character. America is a different place than it used to be. Have you seen um, making comedy in what is sometimes a charged climate? Comedians have to be maybe a little more careful these days. Has that affected what Clownfist can do? Um, I've seen it for sure, yeah. It hasn't really affected what I do uh, because everything I do is so absurd and it's almost like, um, you know, once you buy into it, you're not really in the real world, you know, I mean, once you kind of play along with what's happening with with Clownvis, um, <clears throat> you know, there's no real discussions to be had about, uh, you know, left or right or right or wrong. Well, you kind of you waded into politics, not talking about politics, but you had a song about Barack Obama, for example. And yeah. Your song was about Barack Obama selling tacos. <laughs> do you think you could exactly do you think you could get away with that in 2020? No. So th- so that's yeah, you're absolutely right. That's, you know, the one song that I saw a big differences, a uh, big difference in. <clears throat> like I'm saying, I wrote that song eight years ago. Uh, when I first heard Barack Obama's name, and it was just the concept was it's completely arbitrary. There's nothing there, you know. Um, but we made the video, and uh, people would kind of comment on both sides, you know. They would think that I was against Barack Obama and I was knocking him, or they would think that I'm pro Barack Obama and they weren't. And that was always kind of funny to me, but I never really thought twice about it. And I never, you know, I don't lean in any direction with that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But then, uh, yeah, as soon as uh, Barack Obama was out of office, I do remember a couple shows uh, where I started into Barack's Tacos and you could just feel that it wasn't funny anymore. Hmm. You know? People maybe thought you were you were making fun of the president and, and with Trump in simply, office, that, that felt yeah, uncomfortable? Just simply saying the name Obama with a microphone, hmm. uh, people assume you're you're going into whatever direction they already have locked in their heads, you know. Hmm. Um, as, you know, I could you could say something as ridiculous as, hey, I heard Barack Obama has a new taco stand, and half the room gets fired up because you're making fun of him, and half the room gets fired up because, you know, you're champion, championing him. So it's... Uh, I, I, I totally quit doing that song. I just don't even mess with it, you know? Interesting. Now, you were also on one of the things you're most famous for is you were on America's Got Talent. I understand that they scouted you multiple times to be on this show. Uh, what were you initially? How were you a hard sell? It seems like anything that would raise your profile on the national stage. Mm. Great. No? The only th- <laughs> well, the only, yeah, the only thing I knew about the show, I guess it had been on maybe four years or so when I, by the time I was on, but... I hadn't really seen it, but I had some friends that were on it, um, and they were like a, a tandem pole dancing act and super talented. And uh, anyway, they went on there and got burned, you know, and they got put up into a hack montage, and the judges mm. just roasted them and called them overweight. And it was just so, it was so bad mm. that, and that's all I knew about the show, you know. So wh- why bother? You know, I was doing fine doing clubs and, and making fans. 
Uh, so why would I want to put my head on a chopping block for these goofs? But yeah, they were persistent and they really, uh, you know, they set it up so I was able to do a, a in-person interview or a audition, I should say. There's no waiting in line or anything. And um, yeah, yeah, I was in makeup the whole time. I never had to meet anyone in person. And um, it, it ended up being pretty sensational, but not it, not like anyone had planned. It was pretty sensational. And they, I mean, Pierce Morgan called it, without a doubt, the worst act I've ever seen. I mean, you're you have a really. I think he's exaggerating. I was going to say you have a terrific <laughs> voice. Whether or not one is into this sort of high concept shtick you're doing, what made them so insulted by the clownvis character? Well, I, you know, I didn't know for sure. I, obviously, you know that show is a well-oiled machine, and they know uh, the players they want and the the beats they want to hit. You know, so they get the people to, you know, they need the the wackos mm -hmm. and so I, I think they probably just had me in, in mind as a wacko and they got a little more than they bargained for <coughs> well but, yeah you so you started roasting the judges and you were vicious i mean it was hilarious and you're doing it all in kind of this clown vis drawl it really works as a great piece of comedy from you did they know that was coming or did you go no rogue? You no just, well they you just did it the thing is i mean like i'm saying i never wanted to be there yeah. uh, <laughs> so it's like uh, I didn't care if it got on the air or not by that point. And honestly, when it was all going down, I go, oh, well, they're not going to show this. They're telling me to F off. And they're, you know, I've mentioned Ozzy and I'm talking about Howie Mandel's failed movies. And uh, I thought they would just scrap it all. But that turned it into a whole five minute segment that <laughs> got me a lot of mileage. Yeah, that segment has an afterlife. I mean, you can't find your performance online. They seem to have hidden that, but they have this this thing of, of them screaming at you to F off. That's very easy to find on YouTube, and, and you come across really well at it. I guess that's an advertisement for, for your character a bit. Thank you. Yeah, it's it's. I've found all kinds of uh, great things with that weird uh, uh, with that weird audition. Well, so as I mentioned, you are actually a really good musician beyond this this joke character you've got, and and you had some some projects that really took off before this. You continued to work on some of them even after Clownfest took off. Um, do you think you'll go back to performing as Mike once the pandemic is over? Are you locked into all Clownfest all the time at this point? Yeah, for the last few years, I've been all clownvis. <clears throat> I mean, there's just so much opportunity there, and there's really not even enough of me to do everything that I would like to do and that I think I could do. Um, and I just don't have much of uh, a drive to be a regular musician, and I've got nothing to say. <laughs> you know, I've, I've gotten, I, that's my main thing. Every time I try to be a serious musician, I'm like, who am I fooling? I don't, I, you know sing about love or life or something you know somebody else can do that better so i'll just stick to the absurd so you're happy to inhabit this character one last thing i wanted to ask you about i know you lived in la for about five years what made you decide you wanted to be based back in st louis instead uh we had been out there me and my wife had been out there um and it was going well i was doing the comedy clubs you know by it, it during that period it was after america's got talent and um it had opened the door to all the comedy clubs. So I had a monthly show at the Hollywood Improv and I was doing the comedy store every week. And um, it was it was all going good, but nothing pays out there. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, no, nothing pays. And uh, then the main factor was that me and my wife got pregnant and we wanted to do our family in, you know, not in the heart of Hollywood where we were. So, uh, yeah, we came back to St. Louis and I almost thought that might be the end of it. I thought maybe I'd just do Clownvis for fun. Um but then I got some amazing breaks when I got back here in St. Louis and started touring nonstop, and it's uh, it's worked out 
really, really nicely. Well, so you mentioned that touring is hard on you. It's hard, especially when you have a family. Now that this live stream is doing so well in the pandemic, um, do you see yourself going back to touring when all this is over? Or do you think you can make it work just being in St. Louis more? It, it is something that I think about. It's hard uh, because I have a really good agent. I'm with a really good agency. Um, and basically, I, you know, I can pick up the phone and say, keep me as busy as I want to say, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but there will be a certain amount of it, you know. I'm, I'll, I'll always continue to do live stuff, but uh, I don't really think I would go back to doing as much as I um, I was. You know, I want to keep the show schedule. Uh, I think people like the schedule. I don't want to be messing with that too much. And um, like we were saying earlier, economically, this has proven to be something that works. And so... Um, mm. I you know I not the live shows are just so up in the air. I'm trying not to rack my brain with even worrying about when we might go back because you know you talk about going back at lower capacities and um you know less people and all the things the clubs have to do but the overhead for the artists is still the same so the money's all going to be different uh yeah and the whole th- the whole situation is different you know the idea of sitting in a scummy green room and using a dive bar bathroom uh is way different than it was <laughs> a year ago you know? that's <laughs> a good point i mean no wonder clownvis is living in the moment like right now you found what works and it's maybe best not to get anxious thinking about how do we move from this moment yeah yeah i feel very blessed and lucky that uh we turned on the cameras and it and it started working as like it did well, it, it certainly is. Uh, it, it's something to see. So, Mike Leahy, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. Well, thank you, Sarah. I appreciate you having me. And I want to encourage, if people are curious to see Clown Vista the Rescue, we'll have that linked on our website. That's stlpublicradio.org. You can get in on all the live stream fun, or you can stop by Yaki's and, and see it on the wall of Earthbound Beer. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. And leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thanks. St. Louis on the Air is produced by Evie Hempel and Lara Hamden with production assistance from Aaron Dorr. The senior producer is Emily Woodbury and the executive producer is Alex Hoyer. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. That's 90.7 KWMU. Thank you for listening. I'm Sarah Fenske. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association. Missouri produces wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details on the variety of products made in the state are at ChooseWood.com.